It's so good to see you, so good to be together as family, um, and uh, I am in awe of what the Lord's doing in this moment, and uh, excited to dive into what Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, what He's equipping us with and encouraging us with, but before I do that, it's really special today to have my mom and dad back from sabbatical. <clears throat> they, um, they spent two and a half months just resting and being with the Lord and having a, a well-deserved break after 18 years of leading 24-7 church and longer in ministry, what's over 30 years now, uh, without a sabbatical. That was their first proper one, um, which we had to force them to take, which says a lot about the type of people they are. They want to love and serve and build. They love this house so much. They love you very much. And some of you might have joined in the last couple of weeks and not know who they are. Uh, they're actually the founding pastors of the church. They are my mom and dad. And they started the church 18 years ago and transitioned over to Jess and I, whatever it is, three months ago now. Um, and so it's such a joy to have them back. They are rested, recouped, excited, and uh, looking forward to what's ahead. So I'm sure soon we'll be having vein-popping sermons again from my dad. If you haven't heard him preach, get ready. And my mom's a wild, sick drummer, if you don't know that, but also a crazy prophet, teacher, all those things. But anyway, it's so good. So good to be together. So good to have a fuller house. We're getting fuller. We've got more space. So I'm excited to see more people saved and touched and healed and transformed. Just want to say to you, our um, Global Mission School, I was really astounded by the response. Just so you know, like we, we partner with organizations that are doing this full-time, training and sending laborers. And they were shocked when I told them we had 37 registered because it's just not, it's not the kind of school that you normally get, uh, you know, a whole lot of people stoked about. Like most people are excited about the uh, finances course or the uh, prophetic course, how to activate my gift. But lay your life down for unreached people groups generally just doesn't get the same response. But it did. And that when we told them that we have 37 students, they were blown away. Um, they, they normally have, and this is a, they're, twice the size of us. They normally have somewhere between, between 10 and 20 students per school. And so for us, for our first school to have 37 registered students online and in person is incredible. So the Lord is doing something, and I really believe He's mobilizing the global south to play our role in the Great Commission. Amen? If you don't know what the Great Commission is, you need to. Amen. You are wired, designed, and made to say yes to the dream of God. And when I say the dream of God, it's not this fantasy story. It's the reality that actually God made us with intention. He actually loves you. He's not about trying to fix your behavior. He's about transforming your heart so that he can have a bride for all time, for all of eternity. He's wildly in love with his family. He's wildly in love with his children. And from the beginning of time, he put a plan in place to bring us into oneness with him. And now it's his great joy to partner with us, his kids, his bride, his people, to begin to represent the heart of God to those who've never heard his name. Right now, there's somewhere around 3.2 billion people who have little to no access of the gospel, and that matters. Right? That shouldn't be okay. We shouldn't be able to just carry on and go, well, that's just normal. No, it's not normal. And we have a responsibility to preach the gospel. We have a responsibility to, to take personal responsibility as a community for what's actually happening across the world. And that doesn't mean that every single one of us end up going there, but it means we care, we pray. Right? Jesus says in Matthew 9, 38, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. 
He's the one who shapes laborers. Like 24-7 is not the one who shapes and sends laborers or different movements, organizations. It's him. But we want to create environments, greenhouse, wombs, environments of his presence that can shape mature sons and daughters that he will send and commission to carry worship. What we did this morning, to carry worship, to carry the good news of the gospel, the demonstration of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if you're a student, I'm just going to say brace yourself because... I'm really excited about how the Lord is mobilizing us, activating us, sharpening us for what's ahead. Amen? And can I just say this? If you're not doing this school, but you belong to 24-7 Church, I want to say to you, you're in on this. Like if you're in this room and you belong to this family, you are a part of something so beautiful and so wild, it's so much bigger than you. And you need to understand this, that even if you give five rand towards a trip, you're investing into the Great Commission. You're investing it. You're either a giver, a goer, or you're disobedient, Right? It's our privilege as a house to participate. Many of you are going to set foot in different places, the deepest, darkest places to bring the light of the gospel. And many of you are going to equip and send others to do the same. And one day, you'll be in the throne room of heaven worshiping Jesus, and someone's going to come up to you and say, thank you for the gospel. And you'll look at them and say, I don't know who you are. I never met you. And they'll go, no, but you sent this person who brought me the gospel. And if it wasn't for a community of people working together, I would never be standing here. Do you understand this? This is eternity we're talking about. This is, we have purpose and mandate as the church. Are you, are you with me? Awesome. Well, this morning I am, uh, I'm really stirred to dive into this. Um, maybe I just want to finish this one thought before we, we do this. Uh, I've had people ask me, you know, why, why the Middle East or why Eurasia or why that, that area? Um, it really, it's very simple. Um, if you drive around Johannesburg, especially on Wittkoppen, just up and down this road, you will pass probably 15 churches in a space of about 5, 6, maybe 10 kilometers. Um, which is, is beautiful and scary. It's beautiful because we need communities and churches. We've got lots of people that we want to bring into the family of God. It's scary in that we should see cities turned upside down when you've got that kind of... Uh, volume of churches. But there are whole regions, whole countries and nations and areas where that's not the case. Where majority of people live their whole lives never hearing the gospel through another human being's mouth. Do you get that? So it's quite simple. Why, why the Middle East? Well, because that's where the work is. And I love, we had a guest from Eurasia, a base leader here with us over the last couple of days. He said something so profound. He said, if you're looking for Jesus, you'll find him in the harvest fields. Are you with me? If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm so hungry for Jesus and I just don't know where to find him. and I'm, try- I'm telling you, if you'll say yes to his dream, you'll find him in the harvest fields. You're going to see him in the people around you. You're going to see, when you say yes to actually sharing the good news of the gospel, you'll find Jesus in the harvest fields around you. Amen. So that's why, and you can pray for us with Lebanon. It'll be our first pioneering trip into Lebanon. And I'm really trusting the Lord to open up uh, an opportunity for us to begin to, as we're training and equipping that we can send into strategic cities in the Middle East where we can carry impact and influence. Amen. All right. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the word? I hope so. I really hope so. Today, I want to share a little bit around the place where he wants to dwell. And uh, I want to just encourage your heart and say, I know that right now on every YouTube video and sermon that you listen to, there's a lot of um, presence language. Right? There's like these short Instagram things. I'm talking to 
the end of the millennials and Gen Z right now. Like, you're, if, you're, if you're following Christian stuff, I guarantee you, you're hearing this presence language, intimacy language. And, uh, and it's beautiful because it's what God's doing across the world right now. He is calling and inviting and drawing us as His people to a place of intimacy with Him. Amen. What we've got to be careful, though, is that we don't become so caught up in the language, but we miss the depth that, wants, that God wants to use to transform us. When we talk about His presence, we're talking about His face. We need to be careful that we are not so casual about uh, environments where God is. And we think that, no, God must be kind of somewhere in the room because I can kind of feel the goosebumps. No, when we worship Him like we just did, when we talk about His presence, we are talking about the face of God. We're talking about the manifestation of the person of God in the room. And I want to say to you this morning, the way He wants to express Himself and reveal Himself is in and through your hearts. So when we talk about cultivating a resting place, cultivating a place of habitation, creating communities of people for His own possession, what are we talking about? It's a community of hearts given to Him that He can fill. So I've called this morning the place where He wants to dwell, our hearts, the resting place of God. If you have your Bibles, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's somewhere between Matthew and Revelation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 5 to verse 10. I'm reading out of the Amplified. It says this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who is shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God, clearly revealed in the face of Christ. Pause there for a second. Let's read verse 6 again. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, we know that that's what happened in the beginning. He spoke light, let light shine out of the darkness. The same God who said that, He's the one who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God clearly revealed in the face of Christ. But we have this precious treasure, the good news about salvation, in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty, so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of His power will be shown to be from God, His sufficiency, and not from ourselves. We are pressured in, in every way, hedged in but not crushed, perplexed, unsure of finding a way out but not driven to despair, hunted down and persecuted but not deserted to stand alone, struck down but never destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown in our body. This is profound. See, I want you to understand this this morning. Your heart is really important to God. Why? Why is your heart, your inner man, so important to God? Well, I want to make it very simple for you and say this. That's where you carry presence. That's where you carry the dream of God. That's where you steward and facilitate the vision and the outworking of who Christ is in you. It's from your heart. In, uh, in Proverbs 4.23, let's quickly go there.
You okay? Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Some of your translations might say, for from it flow the matters of life. Life comes from your heart. You live from your heart. I don't know if you understand that. You don't actually live from your brain. You live from your heart. Your brain, your intellect, is designed to facilitate what your heart desires. So if we will learn how to steward the environment of our hearts to be carriers of His presence, our minds and our intellect we can renew by bringing into submission to Christ to help facilitate the desires of our heart, which has become Him. See, we, we, we've got to be real careful. I'll preach this real hard. You'll always hear me preach this, that we, we, we cannot take Scriptures out of context and go, well, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. So delighting in Him equals getting what you want. That's not, that's not what he's saying. It's that when he becomes your delight, when, when he becomes the one that you delight in, guess what he's also become? Your desire. And so when you delight yourself in him, he gives you the desire of your heart. The reason you were created with the ability to desire is for him. Your ability to want, your ability to desire, your ability to need is actually placed in you for one purpose and it's to have him. Because He's the only treasure that will ever satisfy your heart. It's why when we have need and desire, we try to fill it with other things. It's never, it never satisfies us. It never fulfills us. It never lasts. But Him, He's the treasure in the field, and we're His treasure in the field. And when we find Him, and when we steward our hearts to carry Him, we become satisfied and content way beyond anything that this life could give us. Amen. See, God is by nature a lover. You need to get this. He was a lover before he was a creator. He was a lover, he was a father before he was a creator. God is a relational God. He has this intimacy with the Son and with the Spirit. There's this beautiful expression of the Trinity and He invites us as His kids, as His family, as His bride into that same intimacy and relationship. He wants relationship. He wants intimacy. He wants your heart. And He's designed your heart in such a way that from it flow the springs and the matters of life. So right now, whether you like it or not, you're living from your heart. And so if you were to look at your life, you can tell quite quickly the state of your heart because how are you living? See, emotions, our emotions are not there to lead us. They're indicators for us. Do you get this? Emotions are indicators of what's going on in your heart. So that you can recognize how to bring and receive truth into that place and steward it right to carry Him well. It's why Paul says, always carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the resurrection life of Christ may also be known in and through us. Why is he saying that? He's saying, well, because sometimes, like he just read, perplexed and, and hunted down and struck down but never destroyed and well, driven to despair and the things that come at you, life comes at you. But you have this responsibility to steward your heart, the resting place of God, the place He wants to dwell. And we do that by allowing grace and the revelation of Jesus to keep us in Him. And when we stay in Him, when we stay in His nature, when we stay uh, in faith on who Jesus is, He helps us create an environment that is consistent with Him. 
There is a place in God where we can walk day by day, where we are steady, steadfast, consistent, immovable in the things of God. Life can get wild. Life can get crazy. But I've learned how to cultivate and steward the new Eden, which is in my heart. It's an Eden environment. He's put his garden in my heart, and he wants to walk with me there. He sits in the theater of your soul, and he likes what he sees. And you go, no, no. No, you don't know what's in my soul. No, he died for that. See, you see it. He doesn't. He sits in the theater of your soul, and he looks at your life, and he's beholding his son. And he's inviting you to do the same. And it's by beholding him. See, here's the thing. When we say look at him or behold Jesus, we're not just talking about, you know, this like ritual every day of like putting on that look at him worship song and go, okay, Lord, I'm looking at you. I hope this is working. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying, I recognize no other but you. You're the only one whose reputation counts. You're the only one whose purity counts. You're the only one who's true. You're the only one who's faithful. You're the only one who's able. So when I behold you, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to live from my sufficiency because it, it doesn't work. But I'm going to live in his all-sufficiency. I'm going to lean on you and say, God, it's only you. So come and fill this house. No empty spaces, just all of you. So that as I live in obedience to you and cultivate an environment where you can rest and dwell, that you would be known. <clears throat> Do you get this? Your heart is what God considers the treasure of creation. Everything around you, He made and created so that your heart could have expression. Creation exists for the sons and daughters of God to live out and express who God is. Because think about it, He creates everything and then He takes Adam and He goes, I want you to name them. All the animals and things that you see, I want you to name it. Why? But God, you created it. No, Adam, I want you to name it. Because I'm actually, I've designed you. You're not like everything else. You're my treasure of creation. You're the one I want to be with for all of eternity. Everything else will pass away, but not you. And if we understand that the emphasis is on relationship with man, then we can start to see God's heart and learn how to steward our hearts better. Because I promise you, the thing about legalism, the thing about living under the law, is that it, put, it takes the emphasis off your heart and it puts it on your behavior. And then you get wrapped up in your behavior. You get wrapped up in, in trying to fix your behavior and you miss God's cry and his, his desire, which is for your heart. He will transform your heart. You can't do that. God is not asking for your best attempt at changing your heart. He's asking for you to receive what he's already done. See, your heart is where the dream and vision of God is stewarded and believed. Your heart is where your life posture is decided and stewarded. It's an important place. Are you getting that? I'm trying to really emphasize this. Your heart matters. Because you can do the things and have an unhealthy heart. And life, the expression of life from your heart and life is not Him. But you tick the boxes. Your behavior is relatively decent. That's not the goal. In Psalm 27... Uh, yeah, let's go there as well. Psalm 27. You know, we read this psalm from verse 4 normally. <laughs> we, 
we just start at verse 4, and, and it's beautiful. It says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in His presence all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness, and majestic grandeur of the Lord, and to meditate in His temple. We read that, and we use it as our worship scripture. It's like one thing, man. One thing. It's just the one thing. Do the one thing. Yeah, I agree. But do you know what context this is in? Listen to the beginning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the refuge and fortress of my life. Whom shall I dread? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, even in this I am confident. Let me explain something to you. David's in trouble. David is facing hardship. David has affliction around him. David is going, listen to this, verse 3, though an army encamp against me. David's going like, there's a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand guys who want to kill me right now. Though they encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. He's speaking to his heart. Why is he talking to his heart? Because what we're about to read in verse 4 is David making a decision in the midst of adversary and trial and difficulty and affliction. He's making a decision to choose where he's going to posture his heart. He's, he's stewarding his heart for a higher purpose than what he sees around him. Are you seeing this? David is going, okay, yep, though an army encamp against me, though there's scary stuff, fear is all around me. Fear is screaming at my heart, trying to shut my heart down. See, this is what fear does. Fear wants to close your heart up so that you can't feel, you can't do anything, you shut down. So David's speaking to his heart. He's going, my heart shall not fear. I won't give in to fear. Why? Because one thing. I desire one thing that I'll seek, to gaze upon Him, to gaze upon the beauty and the splendor of the Lord all the days of my life, to meditate in His temple. Then listen to this. For in the day of trouble, He will hide me in His shelter. In the secret place of His tent, He will hide me and He will lift me up on a rock. If you will learn to steward your heart and focus the posture or the, the, the direction of your heart on His presence, you step into a place of revelation and position in Christ where you are immovable and confident even in the day of trouble. <laughs> this makes us dangerous. Because the world looks at us and goes, how? The world's falling apart and the church is getting brighter. Why? Because we know where he wants to rest. And my highest call, my highest priority, my one thing in life is to make sure that the posture, the position of my heart is unto the one thing. Because if I do that, no matter what day I'm in, the good day or the day of trouble, I'll carry the glory of God. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Everyone okay? Just stick with me. Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 16. This is Paul and he's, he's praying. That's what he says. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality. That's deep. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, God's people, the width and length and height and depth of His love, fully experiencing that amazing endless love. 
And that you may come to know through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God Himself. Now to Him who is able to carry out His purpose and do superabundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if you've seen this. He's going, you know how I'm going to get glory in the church? How I'm going to get glory in every generation? Is when, you're, when you give me your heart and I can fill your heart with me. So when we come together like this and we say we want to create an environment where God can dwell, we're not talking about making sure the room looks nice, feels nice, the temperature's good enough. God actually wants to be here. He's not too cold. He's not too hot, you know? I know we do that for you guys sometimes, but the reality is he's looking for a room of hearts. He's looking for a people whose hearts are open to the leadership, the lordship, and the government of the Father. And he's saying, if you'll let me fill that space, if you will cultivate a lifestyle of stewarding the space where we carry him, he honors it with his power and presence. I'm telling you, maybe you're sitting and you're going, yeah, this is a bit abstract. and That's okay. But I'm telling you, this is really important for your life right now. Like this, I'm sharing this as your pastor just because I, I really care about your heart. I really care about your life. I really care about what your Mondays look like. I, I'm, I'm praying that your weeks actually look like beautiful times in His presence and in His glory. Not holding on to get to the next Sunday to experience God again. No, listen. He wants you to have the richest experience of God in your life every day. You're designed to host Him, to carry His presence. Tomorrow when you wake up and you get to be with Him, you get to be the dwelling place, the place where He wants to be. And then it gets really wild because he guarantees that where two or more of us gather, he's there. He guarantees that it's a promise. If we have personal encounter and the reality of God in our personal lives every day, if that was real for every single one of us, which I pray it is, when you come to church or gathering or home groups or any time that there's more than two of you, <laughs> there should be this wild expectation in your heart. Because you're like, I experience Him in my heart. I'm called to carry Him. I walk in an in individual, personal intimacy with God. But when I get together with brothers and sisters who are all doing the same thing, He's there. And He's wild. Like, we got to make sure that the God that we worship and the God that we serve is not the God of our own imagination. He's not the God of our own ideas. He's not the God that we get to create in our image. That's not how this thing works. When we come together, He's the wildfire, all-consuming God, the creator God, the judge, the king, the lover, the one who's done it all, the one who paid the highest price. He's already conquered sin and death. He was raised to life. You were raised with Him. We're talking about wild King Jesus who's burning with fire in His eyes. So when we sing songs like, Who is like the Lord? It's not just like, well, yeah, who is like the Lord? It's not. It's like, who is like the Lord? There's no one. It's why I, I start singing off key because I'm just like, ah, there's no one like him. He's wild. I feel like Braveheart. Give me some blue paint or something. They start throwing rocks. Like, it's wild. It says that if we don't start doing that, even the rocks will cry out. 
This morning, I remember the first song I ever wrote, and this, the lyrics are like, even the rocks cry out, even the trees bow, bow down, even the waters worship, even the mountains tremble. And I'm like, I'm singing, and I'm, I'm remembering this encounter, going like, if I don't sing, something's going to, because he's that good, and he's worthy. See, if we would get absolutely mocked and rocked by the worthiness, the beauty, and the splendor of Jesus, we would spend less time looking at our sin, less time criticizing one another, less time living for money and material possessions and blessing, and we would be so given to Him going, if I don't do this, the whole earth is going to start rumbling and groaning and singing and crying out, He's that beautiful. And if that's not real in my heart, I don't see Him. See, when I see him, it's like, oh my goodness, you must have all. Mary of Bethany is not a wild, radical response. It's the right response. Mary of Bethany was not, well, she was just radical in her generation. No, she, was, she saw him. She recognized the moment she was in. Here's the scary thing. You can be one of the 12 following him and miss the moment. Little Mary, Mary of Bethany, nothing fancy, just the one who liked to sit at his feet. But she recognized the moment and she said, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what you're about to do, but I feel the weight. Something just shifted. You're about to do something. So what you need is everything I am. I'll risk my reputation. I'll, risk, I'll throw my dignity away. This isn't about being dignified. This isn't about what seems right to the people around you. This is about what you deserve my whole life. And Mary was sitting there, and she's going, I can guarantee you, she's going like, this is probably, this is nowhere even, this doesn't even touch the beginning of what you're worth. But it's everything to me. It's all I have to give. You must have my all. I want to see this in Joburg. I want to see a people that are so given to Jesus. They just, it's like the things that seem so important to the world, jobs and salaries and money and stress and all this stuff. Yes, we've got to do it. We're in the world. We're not of the world, right? There's things we've got to do every day. But the reality is, I'd love to see a people in Joburg who are so wrapped up in Him, so given to Jesus, so caught up in the beauty and the splendor of who He is, that these things are like add-ons to life. It's like, I, I got to do these things because I got to do these things, because I'm here and I'm getting people saved and discipling people, and so it's important for me to have some money to buy coffees and pay bills, and amen. But my life is so given to the one thing. I've learned how to steward my heart. I've learned how to posture my heart. You know, there's this powerful scripture in Psalm 84, which says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Let me just explain something to you. A thousand days is somewhere around three years. One day in the presence of God is better than roughly three years anywhere else. That's, so there's something about the presence of the Lord. There's something about the power of one day. One day with Him. One touch. One experience. See, if we came together and we gathered, we had this expectation of like, if I, if I just touch him, if I get a little closer today, if I, if I get more revelation of who Jesus is today, better is one day with him than a, than a thousand elsewhere, than three years anywhere else. One day in his presence is more effective and successful than three years doing anything else. That right there, that's how you cultivate communities of presence. Because they go, you know, I could spend the next three years trying to build my business and it wouldn't even get anywhere close to one day ministering to Him in His presence. Doesn't mean I don't do these things, but it means that my life is centered around Him. My life is built around Him. Can I even take it on the other side? 
I could spend three years laying my life down to preach the gospel to unreached people groups, but if I don't know the one day in His presence, if I don't know today with Him, ministering to Him, are you, are you with me? You getting this? Uh, thank you, Lord. If we go back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Paul says this, Therefore we do not become discouraged. Your translation might say we do not lose heart. Let me pause there for a second. Do you know what it means to lose heart? To lose heart means to give in to fear, to allow your heart to shut down, and it means to allow sorrow to take over. So therefore we do not lose heart. We do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self, your heart, is being progressively renewed day by day. For our momentary light distress, this passing trouble, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparison, a transcendent splendor, and an endless blessedness. You guys need amplified versions, man. Sheesh, it's good. I could get slammed on this stuff. Do you see this? Therefore, we do not become discouraged. Not, he just described being perplexed, hunted down. Like, it's tough, man. <laughs> what Paul's describing is like, actually, in the natural, life's rough. He's like, but I'm not discouraged. I'm not afraid. I'm not spiritless. I'm not disappointed. Though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. Better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. Day by day. There is a daily responsibility that we carry to steward our hearts before the king. David understood this. David understood that before he could be a successful king or a, an effective king for Israel, he had to be a faithful priest every day. He had to learn how to sit in the sanctuary and behold the glory of God. He had to learn how to thirst for him. You know, can I just say this? Many of you right now are in situations and circumstances where you are asking the Lord for that specific word of instruction to your situation. And God's going, actually, I'm not going to give that to you. What I'm going to do is disciple you through process. Because what it does is it reveals your need for Him. And if you can get to a place of neediness for Jesus, it cultivates a rhythm of priestly, priestly living. Because I cannot operate today without you. Sometimes we're treating God like a genie in a bottle. Sometimes it's like, God, I'm in this situation, so now I'm going to rub the lamp of prayer and hope that you give me the instruction that I need for this situation. And God's going, nah, I'm actually more about your heart than about that situation. In fact, sometimes I feel the Lord's like, you're so stressed out about your situation, I couldn't care less if the whole thing crashes and burns. I'm after you. Let that one offend our hearts. Sometimes we're so wrapped up in our situation, and God's like, you can let the whole thing just crash and burn. Because that's not eternal. You are. You got wrapped up in this realm. I'm wrapped up in you. That's the heart of the Father. Do you not think He cares about your situations and circumstances? Of course. He actually says if you seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, all those things, He'll add them. They're add-ons. They're so easy for God. Your situation is easy for Him. He's not, he's not scared. He's not stressing. You might be panicking. That's because you got your eyes on the wrong thing. And let me tell you, it's real. I know. When you get there and it's like, okay, the whole thing's falling apart, you're free. It is so real. And, and you'll have emotions that are indicators. And what you need to do is stop trying to solve the problem and start stewarding your heart. Because either he's Lord or he's not. 
And if he is Lord, then what you want to do is make sure you're stewarding your heart to receive his lordship in this moment. And then you watch God do things that you're like, how did you do that, God? And he's like, I was going to do that all along. You just started freaking out in between. Right? See, you're all laughing because you've had how many experiences of this? He comes through for you and you go like, Lord, I didn't, how, that's incredible. How did you do that? And he's going, I'm your father. But, but many of us are missing what he's trying to teach us in that process. Many of us are not allowing him to disciple us through process. He's shaping our hearts. He's teaching us how to steward our heart. God is so patient. He's okay to go around the mountain 17 times. He's okay to, he takes his people through the, it should have taken them 11 days to get through the wilderness. 40 years. God was okay with that. He was like, it's all right. You want to go around again? Let's go around again. My glory is still here on Mount Sinai. I'm still calling you up. Because he's after a people. He's not after your behavior or a situation or a circumstance. He's not after the temporary. In, in verse 18, it says, So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting. But the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. We need to get a value for eternity. We need to get a value for God. And go, Lord, it's okay. You, you, you've got my situation and circumstance, but you are discipling me through process because you care about my heart. And if I will yield to your discipleship, if I'll yield to your leadership, if I'll yield to your fathering in this process, you're actually teaching me how to be a carrier of your glory so that I can represent the heart of the Father to others. See, the enemy targets the heart. He attempts to corrupt the heart of man by emphasizing and manipulating the sinful nature. You know, we, we have, we've developed like weird language as Christians where it's like, you know, we, we, there's something that we value or prioritize. I knew the devil was going to hit me there because he knows it will affect me. You know? Yeah, he hit this, he hit my family or he hit my finances because he knows it matters to me. Obviously, because he knows what, what matters to the Lord, your heart. So if he can hit the things that still have ties and attachments or strings to your heart, that get you to question God, doubt God, where your emotions suddenly lead you, suddenly you're an unbelieving convert. I still do all the Christian things, but my heart is far from faith in him. You know how much of the Western church is in that place? Not just the Western church, actually, the church globally. Many, many find themselves in that place. I've converted my behavior, but my heart is in unbelief. He's not after your converted behavior. He's after your heart. Your behavior is not going to be in heaven. He, him and you, that's what's going to be there. He's not going to be looking at your behavior on the earth. See, we go, no, but what about the rewards? Yeah, the rewards are in partnership with the gospel, in partnership with his dream, in partnership with what you did with love, what you did with who he is. That's what we're talking about. Whether you got it right or wrong is not what he's measuring you by. It's your heart. Amen. It's amazing that Jesus... From John 13 to John 17, he, it's the upper room discourse, and he's got his disciples, and he's, he's sharing with them before he's going to die. Go and count how many times he says, don't lose heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. 
Have you noticed? You should go do it. Go, go, just read through those chapters and go, whoa, he keeps talking about, he's explaining what's going to happen, and he's watching their hearts shut down. He's like, don't, don't lose heart. And Luke, I think it's Luke 22, it explains when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, it says that the disciples fell asleep for sorrow. How many of you, I don't know, when, when life gets really hectic for me, maybe it's just my, my family, uh, family trait, but when I get stressed out, I want to nap. No, seriously, it can be like 10 a.m. in the morning, and I just come back home from a meeting, and I'm like, I just want to get on my pillow and like pull the blanket over. Like, You start to fall asleep for sorrow, right? Because your heart starts to shut down. You stop processing. You numb out, and you want to just disappear into numbness. Because we don't know how to deal with disappointment. We don't know how to deal with pain. And what happens is if you don't deal with disappointment, if you don't deal with doubt, if you don't deal with those things, it becomes deception, becomes discouragement. It disappoints you from what God's called you to do in this moment. And suddenly sorrow enters your heart and you begin to shut down. You fall asleep. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. But physically too. They fall asleep for sorrow. And Jesus, it's amazing. He's like, he's actually saying to them, he's going, this, this moves my heart. He's explaining what's going to happen. And so he starts to talk about these things. He's like, don't let your heart be troubled. Let me teach you how to abide. He's like, if you could just remember, although you're panicking right now and you're afraid because I'm telling you that I'm going to die, I just want you to know, you just stay connected to the vine. When you stay connected to the vine, you're going to bear much fruit. Then he starts to talk about the Holy Spirit. He's like, the help is going to come. He's the spirit of truth, and he's going to lead you into all truth. Can you see Jesus? He's speaking heart language. He's like, I know you're disappointed right now because you don't understand. You're worried. You have anxiety. You're freaking out. And I'm saying to you, the answer is this. You just need to hold on to me. You need to listen to my voice. You need to know that the helper, the spirit that I'm going to give you, he's going to lead you into truth. And that's how you're going to shine and thrive. So now, if we begin to understand that if, if we steward our hearts, if we steward the place where he wants to dwell, in a manner that we understand, he, it's, it's built on the revelation of Jesus. He's the one who wants to fill that space. I can receive the helper. I can receive the Holy Spirit. Then he's going to lead me day by day in intimate relationship with him. He will transform my heart, and he helps me to live out, demonstrate, and express his dream because it's his power in me, the surpassing power of God in us, expressed through us. It's not my own sufficiency it's the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Your heart is his treasure. He's after your heart. And he's so patient and he's so kind, he's not going to stop till he has it. So maybe we should just give it to him. Maybe we should just say, you know what, Lord, like I, I get it. I can't figure this whole thing out. I'm not going to get it right every day. You're not looking for my attempt to be like you. You're looking for your Christ in me. All I've got to do is receive you and believe you and host you in that place. So if we begin to understand that the place where he wants to dwell is your heart and our hearts together as a community, we're beginning, we're just beginning to understand what it means to be a people for his own possession. You know, we, we have these scary words like we say, demon-possessed. Oh, that person must be demon-possessed, like possessed, filled with the demon. But the, the enemy can only copy. Because the reality is you were actually designed, although this word can maybe scare you, it's actually a good word. You were designed to be possessed and filled with the Spirit of Jesus. A people for his own possession. He wants to have, it's his. There's not, it's not a little bit, it's not some of it, the whole thing is his. 
He's building a people. I hope you're hearing this and seeing this all across the world. So do you understand that when, when you come into a room like this this morning, like we've done, and we worship Him, we say, who is like the Lord? Your heart is responding and crying out to Him and releasing worship to Him, releasing praise. And Scripture says He enthrones Himself there. Like, how, how do we build a culture of worship and praise in our lives every single day? Well, it starts with making sure your heart is postured like David's, that even in the day of trouble, one thing I seek, one thing I desire. I want to see you. I want to know you. And maybe the Lord wants to just equip you this morning and just say this, that your spirit man is one with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's set. You don't have to find that. That's yours in Christ. When you became born again, you gave your life to Jesus. Your spirit and His spirit is one. Your soul is just catching up a little bit. Your soul remembers some things. Your soul, your mind, will, and emotions is processing stuff. You actually are called to speak to your soul and bring your soul into submission. You get this? We've got to be real careful when we start to let our soul be the captain of our ship. Where our emotions are leading us. Suddenly it's like, you know, situation and circumstance got tough and this is how I feel about it. That, this is the day and age we live in, right? It's like, what is, what is truth? What is culture? What is, I, I saw, I won't even mention who it was, but I watched an American politician answer the question of what is culture. And they're like, culture is whatever it means to you. You know, there's no such thing as truth. It's your truth. Well, that's crazy. That's just... It's astounding to me. It's like, so what's the point of life then? You just took away all purpose and all meaning. The reality is you are born for the truth. You are born for His presence. You are born for His dream. You're born to give yourself to Him. I promise you, mark my words, we'll stand before Jesus and I know you'll hear it from His mouth because it's straight from Scripture. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. It's only Him. It's only following Him. There was something about Jesus that He could walk up to fishermen and say, drop everything and follow me. And they were like, okay. The reason why we struggle with that and go like, nah, it must have been, there must have been like a bit of process behind that. The reason why we struggle is because we're in love with our fishing nets most of the time. We're in love with our fishing business. I'd love to follow you, Jesus, but maybe before I follow you, do you think you could actually release a prayer of blessing over my fishing business? In fact, you did that crazy thing where you put the net on the other side and filled it. Maybe you could teach me how to do that. Bring in a lot more fish that way. And if you do that, I'll be a blessing to so many people. That's not what Jesus came to do. He's like, drop it all, follow me. Follow me. And then he goes, let me take you on a three and a half year journey of how to steward your heart. Don't you, you can just see it, it's just through the whole process. He's like, you know, one moment they're like, you know, who's the greatest, God? And you can Jesus is going like, yeah, we go, more hot stuff, okay, who's the greatest? The least, least. And they're like, the least. And I gotta go think about that one. Or they finally, they see Jesus doing signs and wonders and suddenly they get to Samaria and they're like, these guys spat at you and ridiculed you like, you just, you just give me the word. I'll call down fire from heaven. Cook these guys. And Jesus is like, here we go, another hard thing. Okay. What is he after? He, didn't, he never disqualified them for their process. 
He never disqualified them for their sin. He never disqualified them for their unbelief. He never disqualified them even for their misunderstanding of His heart. He never disqualified them. He just kept inviting them into deeper process. Lean in, lean in. Here's truth. Here's my spirit. Here's my truth. Lean in. Follow me. I believe what you're going to see in the church right now is a new breed of leaders. They're going to be like Barnabas. They're going to be like Paul. They're going to be these men who would fight for the destinies of sons and daughters. They, they are, are people who are not disqualifying others for weakness. They're inviting them into a place of process, true process, where there's beholding and, a, and right heart posture so that God can do heart work. God transforms hearts. He's in the business of hearts. It's a kingdom of hearts. Hearts. Amen? And so this morning, I'm going to end there. There's so much more, but we'll, we've got lots of weeks. I don't know, or some of you I do know, but a lot of you, I don't know what you're going through, what your process right now is, what your situations are. You're all facing something. When I'm talking today, all of you are picturing a situation or circumstance. All of you are thinking, whoa, in this context or in that. You're all in life. You're living in this world, but you're not of this world. And the invitation from Jesus this morning, I believe it with all my heart. The invitation is so simple. He's just saying, will you come and give me your life, give me your heart, and let me teach you, let me disciple you, let me lead you, let me be Lord of your life, and I'll teach you how to steward an environment in your heart, an Eden environment, where you can walk with me in intimacy day by day, renewed day by day. We read it earlier. Because better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is what he can do in one day in your heart than what you could try to do three years somewhere else. That's what he's saying. He's drawing you. He's inviting you. He's wooing you. I want to encourage you this morning just to simply say yes to the invitation of Jesus. To say, Lord, you want my heart. My heart is your treasure. Have it. Have my heart. Maybe yesterday you had this wild time with Jesus. Well, today there's more. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, I am pursuing him and I know he wants my heart. But today he's going, but there's more. There's more. There's always more. And maybe you're in a place today where you've been so far from him and you feel so dry. And then you think you've got to fix your behavior before you can get back to him. He's, that's not him. That's never his heart. He's going, if you just open your heart and receive me, I'm right there. I'm right there to minister my truth to you. You know, in John 4, says the Father's looking for worshipers who will do what? Worship in spirit and in truth. Isn't it interesting? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you know the truth, the truth will? So what is He after? He's after a people who've been liberated by His Spirit and His truth to freely worship Him. So we need... Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we need the truth of the gospel. There's only one gospel, and it's potent, let me tell you. It will crucify every legalistic bone in your body. It'll do it every day. That's why you've got to get the gospel in you and preach it to you. Because your, your, your flesh nature, your sinful nature, will always want to lean towards legalism and law. Get your act together, fix it. Fix your heart, fix your emotions, fix yourself. Do it better. That's never God's words to you. That's, he's never speaking that over you. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, my son is perfect. He's beautiful. He's radiant. He paid the highest price. It is finished. Receive the finished work. I love you. I'm in love with you. I'm in pursuit of you. I won't stop coming for your heart. 
Open your heart to me. Receive me. That's what the Father's saying. He's like, I'm wild for you. And if you'll let him into that space, this is the thing about the gospel. It is spirit and truth because it's a person whose name is Jesus. If you let the gospel into your heart, it is impossible to receive him and stay the same. Because we're not after behavior modification, we're after transformation. They're very different things, let me tell you. We're not trying to rehabilitate your behavior. We're trying to reconcile you to God so that you can see transformation where you become a new creation, a new creature in Christ. They're different worlds. He's after your heart this morning, amen? Why don't you stand with me? you're here this morning, and as I've been talking or preaching, I feel it from my own heart, just the, the beauty of Holy Spirit. I feel Him like um, drawing this response out of me. It's this like, I can, in my spirit, it's like I just want to go, Jesus, have everything. It's that Mary of Bethany. Just pour it out. Break, break the jar over Jesus. If, you're, if you've been feeling that, maybe it's just for me, but if it is for you and you're like, man, I could feel in my heart the whole time it's like this drawing, this pulling, God, you, you must have my all. I want you to have my whole life. Can I ask you, if that's you, will you lift your hands? And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch us and meet us in this place. Uh, and don't lift your hands out of tradition or religion. Lift them because of a response. Not God, I thank you right now for the cry in our hearts to know you because we were made for you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I release right now faith into every hungry heart that there is a holy collision this morning between the goodness of God and our desire for Him. It's your joy to fill your people. It's your joy to fill this house. It's your joy to release and impart and deposit all the fullness of who you are. You have become one with us, Holy Spirit. And so today, we speak to our souls. We speak to our hearts. We tend to our hearts right now. In this moment, I'm coaching you, man. Let's do this together. We tend to our souls and to our hearts, and we say every emotion, every thought, and every feeling that is not in the nature of Jesus, we call it into submission and obedience to Christ right now. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that you would fill us with your peace, fill us with the mind of Christ, and fill us with a deep intimacy, a deep oneness with you, God. The voice of the Holy Spirit leading us, shaping us, molding us. Holy Spirit, I release a refreshing right now that every burden of stress and anxiety lifts in Jesus' name off of every person in this room. And God, I thank you that you would release right now the tangible, all-consuming love of God. Holy Spirit, it says in Romans 5.5 5, that the love of God was poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we receive the love of God through the Spirit right now so that we can love you rightly with a love that is full, not weak. You're not asking for our love. You're asking us to receive yours so we can love you rightly. Holy Spirit, right now, thank you for the anointing that's right here in this room. And I release, right now, Jesus, I release healing 
emotional healing, mental healing, physical healing in this room. Thank you that the fire of the gospel breaks off apathy and passivity right now. Every bit of hurt and pain, God, thank you for restoration, reconciliation, and healing in this room right now. God, you've called us to be ministers of reconciliation. So I release that, the nature of Jesus right now. Father, I thank you for the wildfire call of God, the call to come and burn for Jesus, the call to live a life on fire with the gospel. God, if there are people in this room that feel that call right now, even if it's a refreshing on that call, Father, meet them this morning with fire. Meet them this morning with the zeal that you have, God, your zeal that consumes you for your house. Impart that this morning, Lord. God, I speak to any fear, and I just say, do not fear. I speak to every heart in this room, do not fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Abide. Receive. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, I pray that today you would reveal your heart to them, Lord. That you are not an angry God. You are not a disappointed father. You are not a frustrated king. Goodness and mercy, grace, truth, unending love, redemption. These are words that describe you, God. Describe your nature. Only you can satisfy, only you can transform. And so I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts this morning. If there's anyone who doesn't know you here this morning, I ask that you would draw their heart. Draw their heart. It's so much more than a prayer. But Lord, I thank you that you'd bring them to a place where they could come and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I release an anointing over this room right now, an anointing for life, an anointing to thrive in the kingdom in the midst of hardship, an anointing to posture our hearts to behold Jesus even when there's armies encamping around us, even when there's trial and tribulation, when there's affliction and difficulty, that we would be a people that arise and shine in the midst of deep darkness, that we would be a people one with you, one with one another, so that the world would know why they sent you. Make us a bride for your glory, Jesus. Make us a body for your name. Make us a people for your own possession, Lord. Fill us, we pray. Fill us, we pray. Fresh infilling this morning. There's no one like you, Jesus. Thank you for this family. I bless every individual, every marriage, every family, every child. I bless this house, God. Have your glory in our lives. Have your glory in this community. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Start right here, God. Mobilize us. Set us on fire. In Jesus' name. We love you. We bless you. We worship you. And we honor you, Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.